0: So we're going to be finishing the series on churches, Family. So we've covered things like togetherness, grace, inclusivity, and unity. And today we're going to be looking at mission, and we're going to be looking at prayer. So we want to be a loving, authentic family on a mission. And we want to be a loving, authentic family who believe in prayer and are dependent in prayer on our Heavenly Father. So we're going to be taking a bit of time looking at mission and talking a bit about prayer, and I'm hoping that at the end there'll be opportunity for us to pray. We're going to gather into small groups and pray together. Uh, But before we get into that, let's pray. Father, we do want to bring uh, Quincy... Before you, Lord, we pray that you'll put your hand upon him, that you will cause this infection to go, uh, that uh, whatever it is that's causing him to feel so rough and coughing and so on, we, we pray. Now, let your Holy Spirit rest on him. Let healing come in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray,
1: let the words of my mouth
0: And the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight in these moments. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we are a family together on a mission. Now it's interesting that Quincy should have put that in his notes, together on a mission. Because that's a phrase that I've known for decades. It's a phrase that was used back in New Frontiers for our leadership conference in Brighton where we, we stated it, it was the title of the conference, we are together on a mission. We're a group of churches, we're a family of churches together on a mission. And now as we've uh, divided up into different spheres and we as Newground are a family of churches and we as King's Church Oxford are part of that family, and we as a family are individually part of one another, and we are all down the line on a mission together because of what God has spoken to us. And so I just thought it was very interesting that he should use that phrase. And it reminded me that, you know, when I talked just earlier about an offering, and we're going to give away our offering to Newground. You know, it's family. It's not just an organisation. Oh, oh, yeah, we've got to give our money away. We're going to give it to Newground. We've just found this. It's No, it's us. It's who we are. And we can do more together than we can apart. So, you know, if we're thinking about church planting. So Pete and Sarah Benton from East Grinstead are church planting in Berlin. You know, and we can give some finance that helps that happen. You know, it's a bit like when your cousin gets married. You know, you want to you give them a present. You want to help them on their way. You want to start their married life well together. And so you, you say, yeah, I can, you know, let's give them something. Let's help them. When you hear about family in trouble, you, you get involved, don't you? Well, that's what we're doing. We're not just having an offering. We're helping our family achieve the things that God has asked us to do because we can do more Together than we can apart. We are together on a mission as a bigger organisation of you frontiers and as this tiny little organisation here. We're a family together on a mission. That wasn't in his notes. But we are prompted to be on a mission by what Jesus has called us to do. You know, we when, uh, when Jesus called his disciples, he said, Come, follow me. And so that's what they did. They followed after Jesus. And then he sent them out and he said, when you go, you want to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. And they, they came back and they said, well, that's amazing. That's what happened. You know, and however you found Jesus, let me tell you, he found you. And so he said to you, come, follow me. So we respond to him, and so we're in that same position. And then when Jesus called his disciples after his death and resurrection, he said, meet me on this mountain. I've got something to tell you. And we find it in Matthew 28. Here it is. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. You know, we talk about go and make disciples, don't we? It's so important, that first bit. All authority is given to him. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the instruction that Jesus gave his disciples, and that has rolled down over the generations until it comes to us, and we receive that because we're part of that teaching them to obey. That's what's happened down through the generation. So one disciple has taught another the commandment that Jesus has given us and we've heard it and received it and so we are together on that mission, bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. You, me, each one of us, oldest to youngest, we're part of that. We are kingdom bringers wherever we go. Now I imagine when those disciples heard those words. <laughs> Before it said, they, some worshipped, some doubted. You know, you wonder what they may have thought when they heard that. Go to all nations. Well, There's just 11 of us. <laughs> you know, it was just 11 of them. They might have thought, well, there's a few more that might be with us. Go to all nations. How are we going to do that? How is that possible? But Jesus had the answer. Uh, he disappeared. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's, I, it always strikes me when you sort of dig into Scripture in that way. You think, he's given them this task to do, which is huge. All nations, only 11 of them, and then he disappears into heaven. And he said, wait, wait. Because he said, I'm going to be with you always. And then he disappeared. But then... Ten days later, the Spirit falls on them. And so it's the Spirit of Jesus who goes with us every moment of every day. The supernatural empowering of the Spirit of God set them aflame. And it enabled them to do things that they would not otherwise have been uh, even thought possible. Powerful displays of praise and teaching. Some specifics. We prayed for healing this morning. Peter and John were going up to the temple. They said, we haven't got any money, but we give you what we have. Get up and walk. (laughs) What about that to transform somebody's day? What would you rather have, a fiver or be healed? (laughs) Amazing. Peter went to Joppa, I think it was, and some people came to him and said, oh, can you come? There's this lady called Tabitha uh, or Dorcas, and and, she's not very well. By the time he gets there, she's died. And so he says, clear the house. He kneels down
1: and raises her from the dead.
0: I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that in my lifetime, somebody raised from the dead. I've heard of it. I know it happens. I'd love to see it. Angelic encounters. Peter's in prison. And then an angel appears and leads him out of prison, sort of through the doors. And then Philip. What can we say about Philip? He was in one place and then he was in another place. This is what the Spirit of God enables us to do wherever they went. And you see, the interesting thing was, I don't think they got up in the morning and said, okay, I feel like it's a raising the dead sort of day today. Or I I feel like I'm in the wrong place. So I'm now going to be in Croydon. No, they just got up and did the things that they always did. They went places. And in those moments, the Spirit of God enabled them to do the things that he asked them to do. They were kingdom bringers wherever they went. Everyone was a witness as they were going. And that's just a few things that we picked out from we <laughs> Quincy pricked out from the book of Acts. Uh, and the thing is, we we want that to be like our lives today. We you know, we want to model ourselves on what God was doing through the disciples in Acts. And it's the same Holy Spirit, just different people. It's the same God. He can do these things amongst us. We need to be like them, doing the stuff that we do every day, our feet firmly fixed on the ground, but with our minds firmly fixed in the heavenly places, listening, looking, expecting to hear. From the Father and what he wants us to do. Our mission has been made clear by Jesus. We are to act in obedience to him. But let's look just for a moment or two at our motivation. What motivates us for mission? Well, we need to look at what God, what why God is motivated for us to be on mission, why it was that Jesus said, go and make disciples what his, his Father and his Holy Spirit's motivation for doing all of this. Why would God go to such lengths to save people from sin and death and redeem them to himself? We need to understand who God is. Now, that's a tricky thing to do. Because this infinite God who we've been worshipping can't be fully comprehended how do you describe a supernatural being that is individually three persons and yet one at the same time now people have tried they've tried to look at sort of the material world and come up with ideas you know like the three leaf clover it's all it's sort of together and it's but they don't sort of operate they're just there or You know, looking at chemical elements like, you know, water is different at different temperatures. So, you know, it's liquid at room temperature and as it gets colder, it turns to ice and goes hard. Or, you know, when it gets hotter, it turns to steam. But they're sort of just independent. Or like an egg. You know, it's got shell and yolk and white and you sort of eat it's an egg, but it's just there. Or the sun, you know, the, the light, the heat, the power. Yeah, they're individual. This comes from the sun, individual elements, but they don't interact together. You don't see the light of the sun saying to the heat of the sun, I'm going to work with you today. It's just impossible to describe the Trinity effectively. But we can look at what God says about himself in the Scripture. In John's Gospel, John makes an invitation to his readers to believe in Jesus. And he says, these words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So in that verse, we've got Jesus and God. Jesus, the Christ. Who is the Christ? The Messiah. The Messiah. What does that mean? He's the anointed one, the anointed by the Holy Spirit. In Acts, Peter's uh, speaking, and he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So there's God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And we, you know, probably the best example is at Jesus' baptism. You know, he's there, Jesus physically being baptised, and then the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and then God the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved Son. That's the good examples in the Word about the Trinity and how they operate together. But why did God... Make us? Why does he draw us in? Why does he do these things? What's motivating him for us to go on mission together? Well, we can find in John chapter 17, verse 24, far, where Jesus is praying, it tells us something about God. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory. You were given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. What was God doing before he created the world? Was he sat around, you know, wondering what to do with himself, twiddling his thumbs, waiting for that moment when it was right to say, here comes the world. he was overflowing with love for the Son. You see, God is love. It's not that he chose to love in that moment, but God is love. We find that in 1 John. That's what it says. God is love. It's not, he just can't do anything else. He continues to love because he is love. And his love we see in Jesus, the one that we model ourselves on. We want to be like him. God overflows with love, like a fountain. Have you ever stood and looked at a fountain? And it just sort of keeps going, doesn't it? You know, you expect it to stop. Is it going to run out of water? It just, But it just continues to flow, and that's like God. He continues to exude love all the time. And this same loving Father who sent his Son empowers us with his spirit to pursue that same mission to demonstrate the love that we have received to those around us and call them back to himself so they individually can receive and know and experience the love of God. Our mission is motivated by the love that God has that was before the creation of the world. It's historic. It's as old as God. And we are part of that mission. We've received love. We demonstrate love. We share love with those around us. We are a family together on a mission, motivated by God's love for us and for others. But we're also a family that prays. And so we're going to look at, just briefly, at prayer. And a couple of weeks ago, um, we were together down at Mid-Sussex for the 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 New Ground Leadership Conference. And there were various different speakers. One was Peter Anderson from Edinburgh. And he was speaking on effective prayer. And those talks, all the talks, his and others, should be available on the New Ground website. Uh, in a, a week or so. So you can catch up. You can listen to them yourself. You can hear Pete Anson talking about effective prayer. And Quincy has taken his headings, sort of stolen his notes basically. <laughs> but they're good, so it's worth it. you know. Um, so we're just going to work through those headings. There are four of them. And he's put it in a sort of structure of a, uh, an equation. So he says, firstly, prayer... Plus agreement with God equals answered prayer. In 1 John 5, he talks about if we agree with God, then he hears us. Well, that's reassuring, isn't it? That when we pray and we pray in accordance with what God wants, he hears us. He says there's no point in praying in accordance with what I want. Because it's unlikely that what I want coincides with what God wants. But, but when we pray in line with what God wants, then he answers. And we can find out what God wants. We can ask him, but also he's given us his word. So when we pray what he has said back to him, we can be assured that he's going to answer. Because he's faithful. We were singing about it earlier, weren't we? He's faithful. He he doesn't go back on his word. So we can be assured that he will do what he says, so we can pray it back to him. And also, we can hear the voice of God. We can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be guided to pray what he wants it's one of the things I always try to do I often fail but I always try to do when I come to pray I try to hear first you know you think about praying as being speaking but I, I try and listen because to be honest I found that it doesn't really matter what I want it's much more important to know what God wants and so we can hear, and then we can pray. We can pray in tongues. Praying in tongues is guaranteed to be what God wants because it's the language that he's given you. He's, he's actually put the words in your mouth. So when you pray in tongues, you can be assured that what you're praying is in line with God's will. Now, you may not know what it is. I say it doesn't matter because you just want God to do what he wants to do. So prayer plus agreeing with God equals answered prayer. Secondly, prayer plus agreeing with people equals effective prayer. And this is fascinating. There's, there's, There's a quote here that I've been looking for that I want to use next Sunday. And I picked up Quincy's notes, and there it is. It's amazing. I would never have found it. This guy is called Arthur Tapan. Pearson. Now there's a name to conjure with, eh? But this is what he said. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Isn't that a fabulous quote, eh? There's never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. So united prayer is what we do together. So when we have prayer meetings, we gather together to pray. Now, this isn't in Quincy's Notes, but I just want to say I am slightly disappointed with our prayer meetings because I look around the room here. There's 50, 60, maybe 70 people we have on a Sunday. When we gather to pray, there's probably a dozen of us. That disappoints me. Because I think it's when we gather together to pray that we are more effective. That's what God has asked us to do: to gather as His people to pray. So I'd encourage you, when we have prayer meetings coming up in the diary, be there. I know you can't always be there. There are times when I can't be there. When we're together, we're more effective. Remember. I mentioned earlier about Peter in Acts when he was put in prison and the angel came. Do you know what was happening? Over here in a house was a gathering of the church. Actually, it may not have been here, um, but it was sort of over there. But they gathered to pray. And the angel came and released Peter from prison. They were together as a body of people earnestly praying to God for him they prayed together and Peter was supernaturally released prayer plus agreeing with people equals effective prayer thirdly prayer plus fasting equals effective prayer why do I have to do this in Daniel 10 we find Daniel fasting and he's seeking God And what happens, he gets this amazing vision of what God is going to do. You see, when we fast, we're effectively humbling ourselves. We're saying, I'm no longer important. You are important. It makes you vulnerable, but it makes you dependent, dependent on God. It removes our pride and our strength. And that humility opens the way for God to move. Prayer plus fasting equals effective prayer. And then finally, praying plus perseverance equals effective prayer. I don't know whether you've read any of George, Buller's, uh, George Muller's books. Uh, his autobiography talks about the orphanages that he established in Bristol probably a couple of hundred years ago. And I mean, they're remarkable, amazing stories of a man who prayed in stuff that he didn't have. And he just kept going. And basically, he says, I'm going to keep praying until I see it. There's one story where he, he gathers all the children in the orphanage for lunch. And his helpers say to him, why are you doing this? We don't have any food. There is nothing in the kitchen. Why are you getting the children together for lunch? He said, because God will provide. And so he, he stands and he prays. And he, says, he says, grace, effectively. Thank you, God, for what we're about to receive. And there's a knock on the door. And there's somebody standing there saying, I've got a load of food for you. It's amazing. That perseverance pressing on, even when we don't see it, we don't see it, we don't see it, we keep going. I'm going to talk next week about people who were praying for 20, 30, 40 years to see God break through. That's perseverance. We must keep praying. We must keep praying together, persevering. Pursuing God for what he wants. We're a family on a mission. We're a family that prays. So let's do that. Just for five minutes. Uh, I'd love us just to gather in groups of five, six. Uh, Some scriptures are going to go up uh, on the screen that you can use to uh, pray. Pray about our mission. Pray about... um, Bertie, pray for Quincy, pray that uh, we'll pray more, pray that we'll see God break through. Wouldn't it be great to see some people saved before Christmas in our carol service? People that you are inviting to come to the carol service will not just come but get saved or just get interested in church and say, "I'd, I'd quite like to come back again. There's some good things to pray for. Let's take a few minutes together.